Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. For those of you who call this place home, we want to say thanks for coming back. You look great. We're proud of you. We've been praying for you, looking better and better every week. But, uh, man, we just want to say glad, we're glad that you're with us today. We've got some awesome things in store. A brand new series starting today as we get geared up and prayed up for Easter. We're excited about celebrating what Easter represents, that we are no longer bound by shame and guilt and condemnation. But we've got freedom through Christ. I love the songs that we've been singing today about the freedom we've experienced because of what Jesus has done. Can I get an amen in this amazing church this morning? Whoa. <laughs> Can I get an amen? There it is. That's, I thought I was at a Presbyterian church for a little bit, but we're good. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Listen, I, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I'm kind of excited about this. For those of you that are new here to the Movement Church journey, this, our journey is about three and a half years in. We started three and a half years ago meeting here, setting up and tearing down. And, and really this is about a, a six to ten year journey of praying and believing and dreaming and planning and strategizing. But we just stepped into this new season at the Movement Church where we're kind of bringing, bringing in new layers of leadership because the greatest thing we can do is strengthen this church with great leaders as we pursue reaching the individual, the one that's far from God, that they might find life in Christ and life in the church. And so we're at this precipice where we are at a place where we need to bring in and, and, and bring great leaders called elders alongside of Megan and I and the pastoral team as we pray for you and lead this congregation forward to see what God's going to do. And so today you get to be a part of that and I'm excited about it. In fact, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. We use text for everything. In a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to text something specifically because you play a pretty significant role in actually nominating elders. And let me tell you what an elder is. An elder are a husband and wife couple who are really, I'm about to read some great qualifications for this, but these people are going to visit you in the hospital when you're there because of crisis has hit. If you're in the middle of a dispute or a fight with your spouse or with a business partner or with a child or with your parents, Come on, can I get an amen, somebody? These elders are going to come in and, and not just drop bombs of wisdom, but just bring strength and pray with you and walk with you through the journey. And, I mean, we believe that they're the ones that lay hands on the sick, and we believe that they will be healed. That's what the scripture says. And so you get to be a part of nominating elders because they represent you. And these are the people that you want to be walking through crisis with you. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to actually do that. Now, there's only one requirement. You actually have to be a member of the movement church. But we'll walk through those details in a moment. But listen to what the scripture says. I've got it on the screen. If you didn't bring your Bible, listen to what the scripture says is a requirement for an elder. Because you're going to nominate people that you feel really fit the qualification of this. Listen to what it says. First Timothy, it's a few verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It says this. The saying is trust, trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, which means for the best of your knowledge, they are working diligently to be Christ-like. The husband of but one wife. In other words, that doesn't mean that they can't have had a previous marriage. It means that they can't be running around on their spouse behind closed doors. Y'all tracking with me? The husband of but one wife, sober-minded, self 
self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. And this is another, this verse three is a good one. Not a drunkard. Okay. You want somebody that's going to show up sober to the hospital. Can I get an amen? Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome and not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? So does this mean that they have to have perfect kids? No, because no kids are perfect, except for yours, I know. But no kids are perfect. It just means that they aren't raising demons in their household and that they've done a good job of building a great home. That's all that means, right? Does that make sense? Because you want somebody that knows how to lead, that's walked through life's experiences so that when you face the fire and you call these people and they can walk with you through the thick and thin. Listen to the next verse, verse six. He must not be a recent convert or not new to the faith, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And deacons likewise, or elders, must be dignified, not double-tongued. Not addicted to much wine. I like that. It's an important component here. Not greedy or for dishonest gain. Listen to verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with clear conscience. That just means that they're not wavering on their faith. That when they hit hell and high water, the faith isn't the first thing to go. They're still solid on the fact that God reigns and Jesus died for our sins and was risen from the dead. That's an important component, right? That they're solid on that. Verse 10. And let them also be tested first. So in other words, they've been through things. They're not babies. They're not brand new. They're not super young. These people are experienced, okay? Does that make sense? Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise. So it's a husband and wife couple. Their wives likewise must be dignified. Not slanderers. Not running around gossiping, okay? But sober-minded. Faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of but one wife, managing their children and their own households. Well, we see this again. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So there's the biblical ramifications for an elder. Now look at me in the eyes for just a moment. I know for those of you that are visiting for the first time, this will be probably the last time we do this for another three to five years. So bear with me. But this is important to us. This isn't just something we have to do. It's something we want to do. Because when we bring in leadership, it brings strength to the church. And listen, you don't want to go to a church where it's just a one-man show. You want to go to a church where there's multiple people who are pursuing godliness and saying, man, we're going to lead because it can take more than one person to reach the people outside the walls of this church who need to know Jesus. And not only that, these are men and women, a husband-wife couple, that you believe, man, when I go through it, I'm going to call these people. And I want to challenge you, if you call this place home, would you be a part of this journey with us today? They're going to put our number, our text number, it's 949-267-3242. Would you text the word elder to that number right now? And let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to submit from one to three couples that you think would be, that represent what the scripture says here. And you're also going to put your name and email. If you don't put that, your vote, your nomination doesn't count. This isn't a vote, it's a nomination. Then what we're going to do is take those names and we're going to take the highest nominated names. And then Megan and I are going to pray through and see if there's any disqualifying factors that others might not know about that we do. Then we're going to submit those to our pastoral team and pray over those. And then in about a month to two months, we'll, uh, we're going to lay hands on and ordain these elders in one of our team nights. 
and let you know who they are. And listen, there are some people that you might nominate that might not become elders because maybe they're on our staff and you can't be an elder and on staff or maybe they're on our board of trustees. You can't do both. And so if you nominate someone and they're not up here, that doesn't mean there's some dark secret in their past. So just forgive them and know that. But we're excited about this because these men and women represent you. And listen, here's what they're going to do for you. They're going to pray for you daily. Daily, that's what we do. This is a a, a big task that we're asking of them. We're going to be praying and believing that God's going to move miraculously in your life. You know those prayer requests that you write down? We're going to be praying over those. The, The job promotion that represents more than just a few extra bucks in your pocketbook. It represents a college education for your kids. That direction that you're looking for as you attend Saddleback College and you're just trying to figure out where are you going, but it really matters because the next few decisions of your life are huge. These men and women are going to journey with you. So as you write these down, text the word elder. It'll send you a prompt. You can follow through that. You can do it uh, as we watch the next video in just a moment, or you can do it this afternoon. And then in about a month and a half or two, we'll ordain these elders and set them in place. And then you, you, you don't have to bow down to them. They won't wear robes of purple. Uh, But really, they're here to serve you. They're here to serve you. And all this is a representation of God saying, you know what? We're going to strengthen the leadership so that more people can find out the hope of who Jesus is. And so you don't have to walk through life alone. And that's a good thing. So text the word. Thanks, Megan. Text the word. Thank you. The word elder to that number and be a part of this journey. Can you do that with me today? Awesome. That's it for me right now. I'm, I'm coming back in a few minutes to preach, but do me a favor, turn your attention to the ginormous screen and uh, watch this last little clip and I'll be right back with you.
And we're back. Good morning. Whoa! It's the rain, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm still waking up. You didn't. It's El Nino just showed up in full force. I still don't get it. I'm not native to California, but El Nino's tripped me out because I was expecting like Y2K and a zombie apocalypse the way we were planning. Like I, my neighbors are like boarding up their windows and buying like massive amounts of food. And then this happens. And I'm like, all right, sweet. So you guys let me know. Would y'all shoot a tweet or text out when it really hits? Because I'm ready for it. We are prepped and ready. But thank you for braving El Nino today again. I think the rain's actually done now. So uh, be praying for more rain. We need the real El Nino, not his little baby cousin. But uh, we're glad that you're with us, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm up against a time crunch today, and I've got a, a, a message I really want to share with you. We've been praying. I, I know many of you don't know this, but we don't just kind of throw together ideas for sermon series. We actually plan these in November of the previous year, just saying, God, what trajectory are you taking us on? And each series has a purpose to it. And we take it through the ebbs and flows of the season of our lives. And we try to hit different topics. Sometimes we preach topically, sometimes exegetically, which means we kind of go line upon line, verse upon verse. And then we like to do character studies. And that's exactly what this series is. It's a character study on the greatest character in the history of man, Jesus. The series is called No Other Name. It's the greatest name. In fact, the scripture says the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's not just a word. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And we're going to talk about four components. Today, the title of my sermon is called The Anonymous. Next week, we're going to talk about the miraculous. On Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about the cross. And on Easter, when you're bringing every single friend and person that you know, we're going to talk about the game changer. But I want to challenge you. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you lean in to this? Because I believe that Jesus wants to unlock something in our lives. We're already here. Lunch is coming. You already woke up. You're past asleep in, Mark. Hopefully none of you are hungover. This is going to be a great Sunday. Right? Can we say that in church? And I, I think God wants to do something miraculous in our life. I want to read a passage of scripture and then we'll, we'll jump into this. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. The title of my message today, The Anonymous. The Anonymous. Write that down. If you're not taking notes, we're judging you. Bring your phones. You have them with you. It's weird. Pull out your notepad. Verses will be on the scripture. You can download a Bible app if you want to. But I challenge you today. Take some notes because I think God wants to do something in our lives. Listen to this. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. This is about Jesus. It says this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, parents of the year, by the way, supposing him to be in the group, it's just the Messiah, don't worry about it. They went a day's journey... Awesome. A day's journey. But then they began to search for him. Thank you, Mary and Joseph. Among their relatives. And okay, good. It's, uh, that makes sense. He would have been with family. Among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. 
searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, <laughs> just polite. My mom would have just like grabbed my ear and yanked me. Son, hey, Jesus, come here for a minute. <laughs> son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in this great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Verse 5, check this out, or 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus, this is key, highlighted in your version app, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just thank you that you're here in this place right now. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what you want to do in our lives. All of us came in with our own excitements and challenges with baggage and with excess and all the above. But God, we just ask that for the next few moments, you just kind of do the miraculous in our lives. We thank you that you're here and you're moving. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. That was so good. That was so good. Have you, have you ever... Uh, baked a cake before anyone in here ever baked a cake uh do you remember when you were a kid uh maybe you were in uh you had a home ec i think is what they call it in public school i was homeschooled my whole life so judge me get over it uh my mom just we just baked baked things my mom's from the south so we know how to cook stuff like goulash and gumbo and grits and biscuits anyone else in here from the south you don't even know what i'm talking about yeah that's been outlawed because none of it's organic and not healthy but uh so we, we, my, my mom just can cook like you, you don't even understand. And so she was teaching us how to, to cook, to bake cakes. And you, you get, you know, the mix. I mean, we're talking about from scratch, not the box that you pour and you mix like legit bake a cake. And you go through the whole process and then you put the cake in the oven. You set the timer and the timer goes off and you, you kind of open the door and slide the tray out a little bit. And then what she would do is she had these, this stack of straws, not like a sip through a cup straw, but like literally legit straw. Do y'all even know what I'm talking about? No, you have no clue. And she would take the straw and she would poke it into the middle of the cake. And if the, the, the residue that was remaining on the straw was a little bit kind of, you know, moist, a little bit like runny, then what did that mean? The cake wasn't ready yet. But if she would dip that in and pull it out, then there was nothing on the straw. Then the cake was ready. We'd pull the cake out, let it cool, and then put Jesus, a.k.a. the frosting on top of it. Can I get an amen in here? Right? So if, if you put that straw in there and you pull it out and it wasn't ready, you would... Put the cake back in the oven and close. This making sense? So I need to keep explaining this. And and, and 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 no, I need to keep explaining this. Y'all didn't answer. This is a quiet service. Okay, good. All right. So you, you would say it's not ready yet and close the oven. And and for some things that's okay. Cake, it's actually all right. Like if it's a little bit runny, it's all right. You know what's really good is cinnamon rolls when they're just a little bit doughy. Oh, somebody got the spirit when I talked about somebody goes, oh, right. They're just, especially that middle cinnamon roll. It never, no matter what, even if the rest of them are burnt, the middle one is always like gooey. Biscuits are like that. It's so good. Cookies. When cookies aren't cooked all the way, we love some food up in the movement church. You are welcome. When they're not fully ready, it's okay, right? Especially the day after a not fully ready cookie, it's like just perfect. 
just like chicken, right? When it's not fully ready. No, wait, that's not the same, is it? When you eat chicken that's not fully ready, I experienced some salmonella poisoning from the chicken that I prepared about three months ago. And I just tell you, when you're bent over like this and you can't stand up or sit down, there's nothing you can do but you just cry. That's no bueno, right? So when chicken isn't fully ready, it's problematic, right? And the same is for our lives. That there's seasons that we walk through when we feel like we're ready, but God's saying, wait, wait, pump the brakes. And what's interesting about this story of Jesus is where we pick up with him. So if you are a Christ follower, if you say, man, I am a Christian. If you're here today and you're not sure where you're at in your faith, man, it's okay. No worries. You can belong here before you believe. In fact, you can attend here and never believe what we believe. That's okay. But just for a moment, if you're here and you say, I'm a Christ follower, I want to take a few moments and talk specifically to you. Because if you are a Christ follower, the scripture is very clear. It teaches very strategically that we are to emulate our lives after Christ. Jesus would speak and say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the humble, blessed are the peacemakers. He would say, hey, listen, when somebody slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. When they ask you to go a mile, go the extra mile. You've heard it said, hate your enemy and despise those who use you. I say, love your enemy and pray for those who hurt you. Jesus taught these amazing things and those make sense, but then he even kicked it up a notch, like bam, added a little bit of essence. And, 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 and listen, he kicked it up and I said, hey, listen, there's going to be a time, in fact, daily I would encourage you to take up your cross and follow me. Now, I can tell that most of you in this room have not actually physically had to take up a cross, but we're taught as Christ followers to emulate him with our life. But we only see 90, or we only see 10% of his life, 90% we don't know anything about. We know he comes on the scene. He's born in a manger. Amazing thing happened. The angelic choir come and sing to shepherds. Wise men show up with gifts. And then we see and hear a few things for the first couple of years. And then there's a 10-year gap. And then this story of Jesus going to the temple. His parents take off like great parents do. Hoping he's with their family members. And return to find him there sitting and asking questions. And then there's an 18-year gap. An 18-year gap where we don't know what's going on with Jesus. A season where Jesus is anonymous. And you have to think, man, God in his infinite wisdom kind of knows what he's doing. And there must have been something to this 90% of Jesus' life that we too should emulate. We too should emulate. And it's interesting to think, I wonder what was happening in the anonymous years. I wonder what was happening in the meantime. I wonder what was happening in that chunk of time where we literally don't hear anything about him. Until he comes on the scene at age 30, 18 years later. I wonder what's taking place in the life of Jesus. And more importantly, I wonder what God wants us to emulate in this process. And I think that what is safe to say. And if you're taking notes. I can see the glow of nobody's phone on your face. That so many of you are taking notes. That I believe in this season. That Jesus was actually growing. You see I think it's funny. That most of the time we look at Jesus. And we think of the cross. And that picture of the blondish brownish haired guy. With the pink cheeks. And the blue eyes. And that angelic halo-ish glow behind him. But we forget that he was actually human. The scripture says that he set aside divinity 
so that he could walk among us. Actually, John 1, 1 through 5 says, the word was first. This is the message version. And the word present to God and God present to the word and the word was God in readiness from God for God from day one. Check this out. Verse 3 and 5. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life. And the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness. And the darkness couldn't put it out. That word is talking about Jesus. And in verse 14, the Bible says that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He set aside divinity to be like us. Which means that he knows what it's like to be Human, he knows what it's like to be hungry. If he had an awesome cookie that was just barely baked enough, he would be sharing exciting stories like I did before this time. He knew what it was like to really need to use the restroom badly and have to hold it. I mean, seriously, think about it. The things that we go through, right? When you're driving, he didn't have a car, but it was a donkey. And he knew it was like, I can't use it, I gotta hold this, right? He knew it was like to have indigestion, but no roll aids. Literally. I mean, we don't think about this, do we? It's silly, isn't it? But he knew what it was like, he knew what physical pain. He knew what it was like to get up early in the morning and stub his toe when it's too cold outside. Like, think about that. He knew what it was like to hit his funny bone. Remember when you ever opened your car door and it swings back in the corner, hits you right here, and you drop everything and you wanna like murder someone? Because you're like, ah, and you can't, you don't know why they call it a funny bone, but you can't feel your arm. He doesn't know it's like to want to murder someone, but he probably hit his funny bone once or twice. I know you think this is silly, but we, we, we look past the fact that Jesus was human. He knew what it was like to lose a loved one. His earthly father, Joseph, died. He knew what that was like to mourn at a graveside. He knew what emotional pain was. He knew what it was like to have a punk kid brother who is always coming into his room without knocking first. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But he knew what it was like to be a human. And he knew what temptation was. He knew what it was like to want something badly, but to know that he can't have it. And I believe that in this season, in verse 52 of the passage that we read in the beginning, it talks about and kind of shines a light on what God was doing in this season of anonymous for Jesus. Verse 52, that first passage says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. You know what that word increased means? It means he grew. It means there were things that Jesus didn't have that he needed in order to accomplish the call that God had given him. That's crazy to think, isn't it? But that's the anonymous season of Jesus. And I wonder how many of us in this room might be in an anonymous season. You know one of the things that God was doing in Jesus' life? God was preparing him. The scripture said that he grew in wisdom. Right? That means, that word literally means the wisdom which belongs to man. So he was sitting in the temple asking questions, gaining understanding, gaining knowledge. Even though he was the son of God, he gave up divinity to be a human being and in the process needed to gain wisdom. 
He was learning and memorizing the scripture because he knew there would come a day and a season where he would be tempted beyond what he knew and he needed some kind of foundation, some kind of stone to go back to. So he's memorizing scripture as a young child. He's gaining wisdom. And I wonder what things you don't yet know that you need to know for the next season God has for you. I wonder if some of us in this room are in a season of preparation, but we're frustrated and want to step into the next season. But just like chicken that's not quite cooked, we're not ready yet. I wonder what things God still wants to teach you and me. I wonder what areas of understanding we still lack. Jesus, for 18 years, God was preparing him. With wisdom and understanding. Teaching the nuances of the scripture. Memorizing the verses. Because there would come a day when he would be put to the test in front of many. But pulling all the pieces together. I wonder what things you and I lack. And we're not quite ready. In this season I also believe that God was strengthening Jesus. The scripture says he grew in wisdom and in stature. He actually had to grow. He was growing and getting strong. But in the process, he was also a carpenter, which means he was honing in a skill that required a lot of contemplation, a lot of determination, a lot of follow through and exact specifics on how he's going to you know, work on this bench or build this table. And, and God was strengthening not only just the wisdom and understanding, but this determination and follow through and strengthening his core. Why? Because there would come a day when he would be beaten and bruised for your iniquities and mine. There would come a day when they would throw a cross on top of him while his brow is bleeding and he would walk through the streets of Jerusalem to the hill called Calvary and he would want to throw the cross down and want to set it aside and say, no, I'm done with you. But God was strengthening him. Why? Because it wasn't time yet. And I wonder what areas God wants to still strengthen you in. And refine you. What areas do you need to really grasp determination and and understanding and wisdom. But really to pick up that follow through. A good friend of mine named Nathan Isaacs goes to church here. and He's just this crazy short South African. And uh, literally you you don't understand what he's saying brew all the time. I don't know. He just talks and I just laugh and smile. Like yep smile and wave. Smile and wave boys. Smile and wave. But this dude is a beast. He just completed two Spartan races. Anybody know what a Spartan race is? Half of you don't. Jesus is like, no, I'm out. Spartan race, it's a, there's, there's three of them. There's a four mile, an eight mile, and a 14 mile with 30 obstacles in between them. Some of them are jumping over pits on fire. One of them is throwing a spear into a bale of hay. Others are climbing 20 foot ropes, jumping over walls. And any of these obstacles that you don't complete, you have to do 30 burpees. Do you know what a burpee is? They were created in the pit of hell. I can't demonstrate it because my shirt will come undone. You'll see my belly. It'll be embarrassing. You jump to the ground, do a push-up, jump back up and reach into the air. And it's a total body workout. And literally Satan himself created it. 30 obstacles, half a marathon. Some of them are carrying 70-pound stone boulders up a hill. One of them is army crawling under barbed wire up a hill in the mud. It's insane. 
And I talked to him about this and he said, I completely underestimated not just the strength, but the willpower and determination it took to complete this race that holds no significance, but simply a medal. And Jesus was going to have to run a race that held the greatest significance ever. Salvation for mankind. And if Jesus needed 18 years to be strengthened, I wonder what God is doing in you and in me. But I'm ready, I'm ready. Are you? Maybe it's not time yet. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. God was preparing him and strengthening him. And then the Bible says he grew in favor because God was positioning Jesus. He was positioning Jesus. Look at what the word favor means. I've got a slide. Favor means this, the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. God was positioning Jesus. He was positioning him culturally and relationally. Culturally, as a human, he was, he was preparing him to know what it was like to be a human. But frankly, God's watching his character and passion unfold in this anonymous season. And, and what you may not know is while you feel frustrated and impatient and you're ready, or why isn't it time, or when is my turn? And maybe what God is doing is positioning you relationally. And watching character begin to be established because he wants to unlock something. But you need his favor and not just your skill set. You need his favor and not just your charisma. You need his favor and not just a talent that you have. Favor is something that you cannot deserve and earn. It just is divine. God unleashes that on people. But it only comes in God's timing. It only comes in his season. I'll never forget for four and a half, almost five years before we moved here to launch this church, we did a stint in Phoenix. I call it that because Phoenix is a hundred in hell during the summer and we look at it like a prison stint. But all that being said, some of the greatest friends and people in our life are there. We served as executive pastors at one of the greatest churches in America. But what was challenging about it is there were things and nuances that culturally were different for Megan and I. We had to lead from positions that we didn't fully understand. And there were times that I would get frustrated. God, when is it our turn? When is it our time to step up and be who you've called us to be? And God was like, oh, no, no, you're not ready yet, son. You're not ready yet. So we just learned to serve faithfully year after year, week after week, summer after summer. When your electric bill goes from 150 a month to 600 a month, come on somebody, you're like, what am I doing in Phoenix? When sunglasses are melting on the dashboard of your car, you're thinking, what am I doing in Phoenix? What I didn't know is that God was positioning us. He would unlock a dream in our heart to plant this church, but we didn't know what that looked like. And the people that we served faithfully for so many years were the ones who helped us understand it. But not only that, they were the ones who said, we believe in you. We're grateful for your service here. And we're going to pay your salary for a year. That's favor that you cannot create on your own. We threw up in our mouth when they said that. Because we had no more excuses. God was saying, it's time. 
And I wonder what God is doing to position. You think that you have the most annoyingly horrible boss in the world, but I wonder what God is trying to sharpen in you to position you for something greater. And it feels like the anonymous because it is. 18 years. 18 years. I'm thinking of a Kanye West song right now. (laughs) Some of you are like, who's Kanye West? Don't worry about it. 18 years. Listen, 18 years. (laughs) Mm. She took my money. Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) When I I can't stop it. When the falsetto goes, I just can't stop it. (laughs) Hit pause on the podcast. Nobody needs to hear that. Okay. Okay. So excited to be a part of this journey. God was preparing Jesus. He was strengthening Jesus, and He was positioning Jesus. And if you were not in the area, we would love to. What season are you in? Well, I'm in none of those. Well, congratulations, you are Jesus. We're glad that you're with us. We'll have you outside, and guys get pray with them later after we great. I wonder what season you're in. Is there something that you don't, there's knowledge you haven't attained yet? Are you strong enough? Do you have the character to withstand the battle that's ahead of you? Have you built the relationships that you need, that God is going to use as a catalyst to thrust you forward? Well, how, how will I know when I'm ready, you don't. God will tell you. 18 years. We don't, we don't know exactly what happened. We just know Jesus shows back up on the scene. And he shows up and, and he comes kind of out of the wilderness to have this like amazing moment. We find out about it in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, which is a river, to John. To be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him. Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying, God is telling me it's almost time. Listen. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is it. His moment. 18 years. Baptize. It's time to begin. Nope. Do you know what his next step was? The desert. In fact, the Bible says that the Spirit led him to the desert to fast, which means don't eat. So that's a sucky season for 40 days. Yeah, there's no, that's what the Greek means. Fast, that's what that means, okay? That, the, he said go, the Holy Spirit led him out to the desert. Nobody just goes, oh, I love the desert. If you do, it's because you live somewhere else and you vacation there. Stop it. Stop it. He's like uh, in the wilderness, a desolate place. Devoid of any life. That's what that word literally means. To fast for 40 days. And then, guess who shows up on the scene? Satan. Look at this. Matthew verses 4, 1 through 4. It says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So here's Jesus, 18 years after the anonymous, comes out to be baptized. The heavens open up and the spirit ascends like the form of a dove. And God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And for any of us, we would have thought, this is my American Idol moment. This is when I'll begin. This is what God has been crafting me for. And guess where God takes him? Right into the desert because it wasn't yet time. So first God is preparing him, then God is strengthening him, then God is positioning him, and then he still wasn't ready yet. You know what the desert represents? It doesn't require a metaphor. Have you ever felt like you were in a season of a desert? Dry and parched? Tumbleweed blowing through that just represent how horrible this season is? No food, no sustenance. And then in the midst of this desert season, who shows up? The enemy. You ever felt like that? As if the desert isn't bad enough. This season is so horrible. God, are you even here? I hate the way this feels. And the enemy shows up and and listen to what he does. He challenges Jesus in two things. Number one, he says first, if you are the son of God, always in the season of the desert or in the season of the anonymous, the enemy will challenge your calling. Look at me in the eyes. It's always in that season where we take that calling and we put it on the shelf. And for some reason, that makes it to the chopping block. Why? Because the enemy knows in that anonymous season where I feel like I'm ready, but it's just not time. Or it's the desert and I'm hungry and I'm dry and I'm weary. The enemy will come and say, are you sure that you're called? Are you sure you heard God? Showing up to Jesus, if you are the son of God. The challenge is Jesus calling. If you are the son of God. And the second thing that he challenged Jesus with. Is God's timing. Command these stones. To be turned into a loaf of bread. He didn't say hey let's go down into the city. He didn't say hey you know what. Let's go ahead and decide to eat. It wasn't about what Jesus would do. It was when Jesus would do that. And I think that's like us. We have this idea for instant gratification. We just want what we want right now. And, but maybe Jesus or God is speaking to us today saying, it's just not time yet. Some things you don't know, you think you know, but you don't know yet. And you're strong, but it's just, you need a little more strength, a little more character, a little more integrity so that you can actually carry that cross the whole way down that street when people are yelling at you, when people are turning their back on you, when things get difficult and somebody hits you in the face, when they're spitting on you, you got to carry that cross. And then when they get done with that trail, they're going to lay that cross on the ground, stretch you out, nail you to it, lift it up, and you will be a mockery. Can you handle that yet? Well, maybe, I don't know yet. That's right, maybe let's get you a little stronger. I'm still positioning you. You think I forgot about you? No, that boss is so perfect for you. That employee has been driving you crazy. I'm doing something in that relationship. 
that husband, I don't have another one set aside for you. He's it. (laughs) Settle down. Maybe you're in the desert. Don't put your calling on the chopping block. Don't put your calling on the chopping block. Often in the anonymous season, we question the call of God. Yet the anonymous is the refining season where God is preparing, strengthening, and positioning us. Don't question your calling in the anonymous. If you're questioning the calling, then you know you're just not ready yet. And that's the enemy. You didn't choose your calling. The only choice you have in the matter is whether you will pursue it. That's the only choice. God handcrafted you like Play-Doh. Mold you, pushed you through that little thing that made Play-Doh spaghetti. You know what I'm talking about. This is for you. Satan can't take that from you. Your past can't take that from you. Your, Your jacked up uncle or aunt can't take that from you. A, a failed previous marriage can't take that from you. Um, a, a failed business venture can't take that from you. Running from God can't take that from you. The anonymous season can't take that from you. you. The only choice in the matter is will you pursue it? So you might feel like you're in the desert. You might feel like you're being prepared. You might feel like you're being strengthened. And you might feel like you're being positioned, but take art because that's where Jesus was. The name above every name. And he did that. So that when we feel like we're in the anonymous season, we can take heart because we're on the right track. So we can identify with him and he can identify with us. He has overcome the world and created you for the purpose within you. Jesus, the name above every name. Maybe it's the anonymous season. But don't give up. Don't give up. And listen, you might be here saying, but I'm, I'm praying. And if I'm in the anonymous season, it's not time yet. Does that mean that God's not here? No way. Man, the scripture says that his mercy and his grace are new every morning. So he never leaves us nor forsakes us. But he's just leaving us in the oven just a little bit longer until we're ready. Does that make sense? So you might be in that season but don't give up yet. Don't put your calling on the chopping block. Don't preemptively pull that cake out of the oven. You wait for God's timing. And when it's God's timing, you will know because his timing is miraculous. In fact, the anonymous is always preparation for the miraculous. You can't stop it. He will shove you out the door. And you'll be flying like without a parachute going, oh my God. And right at the right time, and oh, that's what this is about. Does that make sense? That people listening on podcasts are going to have no clue what I'm talking about. Y'all tracking with me? The anonymous, the anonymous, the anonymous. We're so short on time. We just talked to a few of you here, here today. And maybe you're wavering in your faith. Maybe you haven't even begun a journey with Jesus to to really even understand the fullness of the idea of waiting on Jesus. If you're here today and you've never begun that journey, man, don't let today pass you by without experiencing that. 
You say, you don't understand my past. You don't understand where I've come from. And every time I pray, I feel like I hit a ceiling or there's a gap between me and God. And I can tell you, man, I can relate. The Bible talks about that gap. It's called a sin gap. There's a consequence for sin. And all of us have sin in our life. And that consequence is death and an eternity in hell. The Bible offers this radical solution. A free gift. Jesus, who came to this earth, knew what it was like to be human, lived a sinless life, and died a sinner's death. He closed that gap for you and for me. Not that life can get perfect, but life gets good. And it paves the way for an eternity in heaven. If you're here and you've never made that faith declaration, it's just as simple as saying yes to Jesus. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. You don't have to get out of your seat. This would be between you and the Lord. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want to challenge you just to simply pray it after me. You can't wipe away your past enough to pray this prayer. You can't attend church enough to pray this prayer. It's just a choice, and it's a free gift for you. If you're here and you've never prayed that prayer in a moment, would you just with me repeat it in your own heart? And if you're here today, you've been running from the Lord, Stop playing games and come running back to to him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, would you just pray it with me today? Just believing that God's gonna do something great to say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me and you've given me purpose. I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ransom for my sin. Now all across this room, heads bowed, eyes closed, just make this statement in your own heart to say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.